This is Health Matters with Sipla. Childhood is supposed to be a happy, carefree time in our lives. These days, there are so many kids and teenagers who are struggling with anxiety, depression, and other related mental health issues. To unpack this, I'm joined by our mental health expert, Jeannie Covey, a clinical psychologist who works with individuals, couples, families, groups, children, and adolescents. Jeannie, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's always so much fun to be here. Jeannie, as adults, we know that there are many things that can cause us stress or anxiety. But what are the main problems that younger kids are having to deal with right now? So I think the first problem is that about childhood supposedly being this happy and carefree time, which is a complete illusion um, and really not very accurate at all. Mm. Um, we as adults, we tend to think that we have the monopoly on stress. Um, but if you ask anybody um, about their childhood, they will share that it was an incredibly stressful time in which they had to navigate life without any lived experience and, most importantly, without any kind of control. Mm. So if I look at my son, for instance, I think he's got a pretty sweet deal. You know, somebody does absolutely everything for him. He's five and a half. He goes to school. He drills around. He doesn't have uh, major responsibilities. He doesn't have bills to pay. He doesn't have a job he has to go to, he doesn't have any of these things that I as an adult think are stressful. But yet, what does he want? All he wants to do is be big. All he wants to do is grow up. And the other day he said to me, well, you're a grown up, so you can do whatever it is that you like. And, and I was like, well, actually, no, you're a kid, so you can do whatever you like. So it's actually an illusion to think that children don't have stress. Mm. And growing up is incredibly stressful. If you think about everything you had to learn, from the moment you were born until today, it's a lot of information. It's a lot of different contexts, different situations, and different problems that you've had to learn to navigate. And in that learning and in the development of the central nervous system, there is inherently stress. And like I say, um, children don't have any control over their lives. Mm -hmm. They are completely dependent on adults, and that is also then for them extremely stressful. So just like we go through ups and downs, just like we have stress, we mustn't as adults think that children don't have that stress in their lives, that they don't also um, need support and that they should always be happy. Mm. And I think that the biggest thing that children really struggle with is this pressure to be a certain way, to perform at school, to be happy, to be well-behaved, to be a certain way, to meet with their parents' expectations. And so the biggest struggle that I find children have, and especially when I, I have clients as adults that had struggles in their childhood, which is absolutely everybody, it's the struggle with self-worth based on feeling that they're not living up to these expectations of society, one of which being that children should be stress-free, happy, and just flourishing and growing beautifully without any effort or stress. Yeah. Now, how do we help them? How do we help these kids as parents, as teachers, etc.? How do we help them navigate this world? I think one of the most important things as parents and teachers is to, first of all, work on yourself and recognize where your central nervous system is dysregulated and how you can be a more stable and consistent source of what we call um, attunement or attachment for your child in order for their central nervous system to be able to regulate itself from the inside out. So to definitely work on yourself. And that also comes with the next part of, getting rid of the shoulds, the shoulds for yourself and also the shoulds for your children and rather looking at what works. So we've been programmed from the time that we were born that a successful life looks a particular way. 
And that if we want to be happy and successful people, we have to tick certain boxes um, in this particular column and not tick any of the boxes in the other column. And this is what I call the illusion of a pain-free life. There is absolutely no such thing as a pain-free life. Mm. Yeah. And when you as a parent have this this concept of the pain-free life or this illusion, you have this illusion that there is a particular way in which you need to be in order to be successful. And then you also have a particular way in which you need your children to be in order for you to feel that they're okay and they're successful and they can have access to this mythical pain-free life. But the truth is that there is no pain-free life. There is only what works and what doesn't work. There is actually no such thing as should. Mm. There is only what is effective and what works for you. So getting rid of the shoulds for yourself and working with rather what works for you and what is effective for you and then doing the same for your children, that leads us beautifully into being able to have an attitude or a relational quality of acceptance versus approval. Mm. And there's a significant difference between acceptance and approval. Acceptance is unconditional that there is no particular way in which I need you to be in order for you to be with me, in order for me to accept you as you are. And we have very limited language in our culture and in our vocabulary for acceptance. We have a lot more language for approval. Yeah. We have a lot more language to say, I accept you based on these positive judgments. Sure. So I like you because you do this for me. I like you because you're attractive. I like you because you are successful. I like you because you're a well-behaved child. I love you because of all of these things that I deem as positive judgment are acceptable. And then our children have this programming that they have to work for approval rather than feeling inherently accepted. And I'll give you a little example. My son asked me the other day, mommy, because I tell him every day how much I love him. And um, he said, oh, he always says, I know that. Mm. And then he said, mommy, why do you love me so much? And I was just about to say, which is what we're programmed to do. I love you because you're so well behaved and you're so clever and you're so good and you're so cute and so strong. And I had to stop myself and instead say to him, I love you because you exist. Sure. And I accept you as you are. I love you because you are here. And there's no particular way in which you need to be for me to continue to love you. Wow. So I think if we can do that for ourselves as, as parents, if we can work through the, and this is where the self-regulation comes in, work through the discomfort of other people's judgment or our perceived, um, our, our perceptions of their judgment long enough to accept ourselves as we are, we can also then accept our children as they are and stop putting pressure on them to be a particular way in which makes them feel accepted and not uh, approved of and not actually accepted. Sure. Power. That was incredible. Uh, especially the fact that I've got a five and a six year old. So I, I, what you're saying is, you know, speaks volumes to me. Uh, and soon that five and six year old will become a 12, 13 year old. Yes. And then we start talking about the teen years, Jeannie. Uh, I'm sure a very different time from when you and I grew up as teenagers. Uh, you know, internet literally uh, in my hand all the time, social media. How is this all affecting our teenagers today? Well, just a little bit about teenagers. I, I firmly believe that nature made children so cute <laughs> so that you love them so much that you don't murder them when they're teenagers. <laughs> so <laughs> teenagers are very, very tricky creatures. Yeah. And one of the main reasons why there's two main reasons why teenagers are tricky. The first one is that a teenager is programmed that at this stage of their life, they are wanting to differentiate. So they're wanting to become their own person. And this involves some rejection of their parents. At this age, wanting to find themselves and become their own person means that they have to start moving away from mommy and daddy 
moving away from our family, moving away from what we call the vertical culture, the culture that they've inherited from you and the way that we do things and how we think, to become their own person and adopt what we call a more horizontal culture and develop their own identity. So they're designed to push you away and reject you and find you completely embarrassing and not want you to drop them off at the school gate for three blocks away and not shout out the window, I love you, Snuggie, have a great day, and anything you say and do is wrong. And now this is in the context of a relationship in which you've had so much control from the very beginning. You decided um, what this person was even going to be named. You decided what they're going to wear. You decided what they're going to eat as the parent. You decide everything about them, where they go, who they socialize with. You have so much influence. And as they grow, they start to become their own person and differentiate. And now you realize you actually have no control. And this is where parents start to get into power struggles with their adolescents by trying to exert the same kind of control that they had over them when they were little. And your teenager is designed to push against that if they're going to become an independent adult, which is ultimately the goal of parenting, right? It's the most incredibly rewarding and incredibly thankless job because you're furnishing this house that you're never going to live in. And one day your teenager is going to be their own independent person and they're going to move on with their lives. Thanks for all the resources you gave me, but I'm my own person now. And that is successful parenting is to raise an independent adult. Sure. So they have to do that. And it makes it very difficult to to negotiate with them and very difficult to work with them because of the second point, which I'm going to raise now, mm. which is the, the development of their brain. So in our brain, we've got different functional units. For example, our occipital lobe is for visual processing. Our um, parietal lobe is for visual process, um, for spatial processing. Our temporal lobes for language and emotional processing. And then our, our frontal lobes, which is right in the front of your brain, is what we call the executive of the system. And its job, just like the CEO, is to actually coordinate all the other systems and to make high-level decisions. So that is where we have our personality. It's where we have our empathy. It's where we have our judgments. It's where we have impulse control. It's even where we have the awareness of the passage of time. And when we are developing all the other functional units in the different sections of the brain, all mature before the age of, say, 12, 13, not the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe only matures between the ages of 18 and 22, roughly speaking, which is why you're not allowed to sign a contract until you're 21, because you actually can't meaningfully understand the impact of your decisions before your frontal lobe is fully matured. Mm. Now, at around 12, 13, your brain starts to prune resources to those frontal lobes in order to prepare for that last push of maturation there late in adolescence. Um, And so your teenager actually has worse reasoning, impulse control, and judgment than your child, than a child. Mm. So we have this person who's designed to push against us, but they've got absolutely terrible logic. You can't reason with them. They've got terrible impulse control. They start to have even less empathy than they did when they were a child. And it's because their brain is not actually able to do the things that we expect of them because they look like adults, but they're actually not adults. So adolescence is a very difficult time with what you were saying earlier about, you know, having internet and social media. I often feel very grateful that I'm quite old now and that we didn't have any of that because I probably would have imploded my life with poor judgment, Mm. being an adolescent, having this weapon of a phone at your fingertips. And so adolescents with all of these hormones raging through their body, trying to figure out who I am, um, inclusion is very important. Um, uh, friends are incredibly important. There's nothing more important than friends and inclusion. And then we have this ticking time bomb 
of social media and phones where our teenagers are actually not equipped to deal with the repercussions of their decisions. And here we have this decision maker in their hand that is incredibly permanent. What they put out there on social media, what they communicate to each other via WhatsApp is incredibly permanent. And so it is actually an unfair um, weapon that they have in their hands where they're not actually able to meaningfully understand its uses and its implications. But if you don't give your adolescent access to a phone and to social media, they will become incredibly depressed because that's how they connect with one another. So think about what in my day, you know, you had your friends at your school and maybe you had one or two friends at another school. So maybe you had like 20 or 30 people at a push. Maybe your whole grade would know about something that happened to you or at a push your whole school. So we're talking, you know, 20, 30 people and at a push 1,500 people that know about something embarrassing that you did. But now with social media, there could be millions of people. It could go viral. It could go all across the world. Kids at other schools, kids in other countries. And so the repercussions are so much greater for our kids now because of phones and because of social media. Now with them trying to become their own person, trying to develop relationships outside of the family and their poor judgment, we see what a precarious and vulnerable time it is for them. Now, we add to the mix, uh, and we touched on it, uh, Jeannie, is school. Uh, You know, the the pressure of academics and sporting achievements, plus uh, we've got that nasty word that keeps rearing its heads uh, all over the world, bullying, physical, verbal, cyberbullying. How does one help our kids deal with that and cope? So bullying is a very um, interesting and also very complex relational dynamic in which we see um, an, a game without end called the pursuer-withdrawer dance. And so it's not a popular opinion that I have, but it is an opinion that I have that what we need to do is we need to empower our children to become less likely candidates for victimization. So we know from human nature, we know herd mentality, that there are always going to be bullies as long as there is somebody for them to victimize. So empowering your child to move away from that kind of dynamic in which they are a likely victim of being of being bullied. Now, that might sound like I'm saying to your child, okay, give in to peer pressure, give in to conforming with the crowd, but not at all. But to help them release themselves from what we call the pursuer withdrawal dance. So in this dynamic, the bully disapproves of the victim in some way and communicates that disapproval. The victim there rides this, this guilt resentment seesaw. Why am I not good enough? And I feel guilty for not being good enough. But also I resent you for making me feel not good enough. And so when we get disrespected or disapproved of or in some way even abused, what happens is that the other person that did it to us takes a little bit of our self-worth and holds it in the palm of our hand, their hand. And we have this belief that the only way to get that approval back is to win or that piece of the puzzle back is to win the approval of the person who's taken it from us. And we see this in bullying. We also see this in abusive relationships with adults. Why don't you just leave? Why don't you just ignore the bully? Why don't you just focus on your own friends? Because that person has taken a bit of your dignity and it feels, it's an illusion, that it feels like the only way for you to get that dignity back is by winning their approval. And so the child that's being victimized, it gets trapped in this dance where they are constantly pursuing the approval of the bully. And they are constantly hooking in to that disapproval by pursuing the approval of the bully in overt and also in covert ways. I had a client many years ago um, who um, was really very, very badly bullied. I mean, you, you could have probably called carte blanche um, about what was happening to this kid at school. And he was trapped in this dynamic where he would work very hard to fit in and then be very angry when they rejected him 
and push them away and then pursue them again. And he said to me the one day, Jeannie, why don't they like me? And everybody else was always saying, oh, it's not true. They do like you. It's just boys being boys. Don't take it to heart. And I said something different to him the one day. I said to him, they don't like you because you're very intense. I didn't say to him because you're too intense. I said to him because you are very intense. I said to him, it's like you're like Rockefeller cheese. And at this age, they want cheese curls. So your options are to either pretend to be a cheese curl and try to fit in, but they'll sniff you out instantly and get back into the cycle, or to accept that you are Rockefeller cheese and that you're not going to be everybody's flavor for now, and that's okay. And just getting through day by day until such time you find a context in which you can make more decisions about who you associate with and find people that prefer Rockefeller cheese. So this links back to what we started talking about right at the very beginning about self-acceptance and moving away from need for approval. Obviously, we all need confirmation. We all need to be seen and acknowledged for who we are. But we need to have what I like to think of as like an emotional trust fund that we can benefit from other people accepting us and confirming us, but we're not dependent on it in any one particular moment. Mm. And that comes from a place of having the experience of acceptance um, from your primary relationships. And it's with that experience of acceptance from your primary relationships that you can come to a place of self-acceptance and then helping your team or even your small child get out of that dynamic where they are investing a lot in trying to win the approval of this person feeling frustrated and resentful when they don't get it, pushing away, um, and the stance continues for them to be able to say, well, you know what, I'm Rockefeller cheese. Hmm. I'm not everybody's flavor, but I'm valuable. Rockefeller cheese costs more than cheese tools at the shop. Yeah. I'm valuable within myself. Yeah. And one day I'll just bide my time until I find a peer group, friendship circles that appreciate my flavor for what it is. Sure. Jeannie, what kind of signs should we be looking for as uh, a parent, as a teacher? What, 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 you know, if they're struggling, but don't talk about how they're feeling or what they're going through, how can we as parents or teachers tell that there might be a problem? Yeah, because they don't frequently talk because sometimes they don't have the language to describe and also because they're going through this differentiation and also because they're not wanting to disappoint other people by having a hard time. So it's true that they don't talk. So the biggest mis- misconception is that their remarks will start to deteriorate. And this is absolutely not true. So your child can be this hyper-performing straight-A student and get actually involved in drugs and keep up with their good marks and use drugs on the weekend to blow off some steam to regulate themselves and go back to school on Monday and keep up their marks. So not to look at something like marks as... Um, an indication that your child is struggling and thinking that if your child is performing well at school, it must mean that they're doing fine. So that's definitely not the case because like I said, a lot of times, especially with anxiety, people can overperform and overachieve in order to feel a sense of control. So not looking at marks, we'll be looking at things like, um, is this, is their sleeping pattern dysregulated? Mm. So are they, and we know that teenagers do like to sleep late. So are they maybe um, going to bed very early and sleeping very late? So we know teenagers typically like to go to bed late and wake up late. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sleeping for more than 10 or 11 hours in a day. So leave in the middle of the day wanting to go and have a sleep, coming home from school wanting to go and have a sleep. That is an indication that the central nervous system is overwhelmed and taking strain. Also looking at things like um, changes in, in appetite. 
um, is my teen actually, and we know that teenage boys eat a lot because they're growing, but is my teen actually avoiding eating? Is my teen not um, um, eating at all? That can be a real indication that this child is feeling out of control and not coping, especially when they stop eating. Um, and also things like, obviously, emotional dysregulation comes with adolescence, but your child having frequent meltdowns, um, frequently having angry or irritable outbursts, really just dis disconnecting entirely, not even just differentiating, but disconnecting entirely from, from parents and siblings, but also most especially disconnecting from friends, not wanting to see friends, not wanting to go out, not wanting to do fun things that they used to enjoy, all the, the things that they enjoy as an adolescent. So, you know, okay, maybe they don't want to go to McDonald's with you anymore. That's normal for an adolescent, but they don't want to go to McDonald's with their friends. They don't want to do the things that they enjoyed in the adolescent years anymore. And those to me would be the better indications that your child is struggling and needs support. Wow. Jeannie, as always, this has been an enlightened conversation and podcast. Jeannie Cavey, thanks so much for your time. We'll be back with more of Jeannie and more of these amazing podcasts called Health Matters with me, Ryan O'Connor, in partnership with Sipla. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please remember to rate and review the show. And of course, we'll be back soon with another brand new episode. Health Matters in association with Sipla. Check your favorite podcast app for the latest episode.